Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom? Who is your biggest pack-your-knives draft bust? Oh, I've had a lot of them, Kevin. I thought about Tyler Anderson, but I'm going to go with Natalie from Top Chef Season, what was that, 16, Kentucky? I drafted her first overall because she won the first elimination challenge, and she made a lemon curd pie that got her kicked off in the very next episode after I drafted her number one overall. So lemon curd pie, more like lemon turd pie. I hate to say it, Tom, but mine is Nini. She is my Jimmer Fredette. Had such high hopes and just could not put it together. I still think she is the best Top Chef contestant to utterly fail twice, but that is unfortunately the answer. I think that was the all-star season, her second time around. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, it's our favorite day, even more than the finale, I think, if we're being honest with the listeners. You and I love nothing more than a good snake draft. It's early season. Everybody's a contender. It's all aspirations and hope. Before we start, though, for our new listeners or just our old listeners who need a recap, explain the draft. Explain what we're doing here. This is sort of the basis of of the show itself. Yeah, when we went on that run around the Rose Bowl, what was that, six years ago, five years ago, Kevin, I said, wouldn't it be cool if we did a draft after the first episode of Top Chef and we created a podcast out of that? And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to do a draft. We're drafting 14 contestants because one was eliminated in last night's episode uh, in the premiere, a shocker, and we'll get into that later. Um, But we're going to do a snake draft, which means the first overall pick selects, which is going to be you this year because you won the fantasy season. Congratulations. The first time you have done so. You are awarded with the first overall pick in the 2022 Pack Your Knives draft. And then we go snake, which means I get the second pick and the third pick. 
and then you get the fourth and the fifth and so on and so forth until we finish the entire draft. So, Kevin, how does it feel to get the number one pick? Are you nervous right now? I am a little nervous. You know, I'm defending a title here, so I am a little nervous also because, I mean, frankly, Tom, we're not very good at this. So I'm trying to write this ship. I'm reading Soup Forecasting, a book I'm sure you've read about sort of the art of predictions, the science of predictions, how to make better predictions. And and so I, I'm really hoping here I can at least as they say, beat the chimp, you know, the famous experiment where they have these, these expert predictors make predictions. And on the other side was a chimp and a dartboard and the chimp won because humans are terrible at predictions. So I'm hoping that my predictive powers are better here. I have submitted my number one pick to the commissioner. And here it is. Thank you all for joining us here at the season 19 top chef draft the first chef testant off the board to team arnovitz from the greatest city in the world san francisco california it is robert hernandez i don't think this is a surprise tom you better than anyone as our stat meister know that You can do a lot worse than picking the winner of the first challenge. There is a very strong track record. I don't think this surprises you at all. I'm kind of going chalk here. And I'll tell you why. I think, obviously, as I said, he won. Kristen Kish had a very good analysis of his gnocchi with braised pot roast and Parmesan cream, which was his winning dish in the in the elimination challenge. And that was that it was both comforting and elevated. And in thinking about that, that is kind of how you win on this show. You know, every once in a while, like the really elevated people, think about Brian Voltaggio, you know, some people perceive him to be a little soulless. It's all about elevation, about none of all the elevation, none of the comfort. And I think the chefs that really make their mark on this show have that combination that Kristen Kish just beautifully um, stated in, in, in very succinct terms. Comfort plus elevation. That appears to be Robert's gear. He won the first round. I'm all over it. Oh, you talk about comfort. I am feeling so comforted by your number one pick. He was number six on my board. Number six. Tell me why. Tell me why. I'm a little burned. Okay. You know, in super forecasting, they probably uh, spent many, many pages talking about, I don't know, recency bias, maybe some, uh, you know, confirmation bias here where me, I've gone with the stat that 33% of the first challenge winners end up winning the entire Top Chef. It's probably the most successful round. If you win the first round, that's a pretty good harbinger of whether you're going to win Top Chef overall in the end of the day. However, the last two times we have done this, we've gotten burned. You know, you picked Sarah last year. Isn't that recency bias? I know. I know, Kevin. Fourth pick last year in the Pack Your Knives draft. We actually made a trade where you got the first pick and you went with Shota. Then I went with Gabe. Then I went with Don and we made a trade later in the season involving Don. But you went with the fourth pick with Sarah who won the first challenge and she ended up not winning the whole entire thing. But me personally, I went with Natalie first overall the year before because she won the first challenge. Citing the stat that it's very predictive. If you win the first challenge, you're going to win the whole damn thing or more likely than not. Then I did Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson got booted three episodes later. Natalie booted an episode later. So me, I'm starting to rethink myself is like maybe draft, you know, for so many years in the NBA, you wanted that big time center. You needed the seven footer and then the game changed and maybe you didn't get the center anymore. Maybe those trends start to die. So me, not only am I burned and I'm feeling a little recency bias of of picking that first episode winner, but also there were things that really scared me about Robert Hernandez in this episode. I thought the Magical Elves did an amazing job of surprise here. They introduced Robert Hernandez by saying he hasn't cooked in a kitchen since 2019. Kevin, he says he hasn't been in a kitchen for three years. But, but here's the thing. I think you have to consider COVID. I think, unfortunately, there are probably a lot of chefs, you know, at the upper mid-level who haven't cooked. I mean, the restaurant business was decimated. 
And I just think you have to put an asterisk by that. And I don't, I don't, I think it's riding a bike. I mean, hey, clearly it didn't affect him. Small sample size, Kevin, small sample size. I mean, it it, it didn't affect him in this one episode, but you were forgetting the fact that he dropped the succotash onto the floor and then he hid the pork away from his teammates. Does that sound like a good teammate to you? This is an interesting, and I'm curious to hear your, 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 your feeling on this. I found, given the nature of the quick fire, that it was it wasn't very conducive to scouting. In other words, generally speaking, you and I use the first episode to sort of kind of cult, essentially cultivate opinions about who these chefs are, right? And what do we go by? We go by the two challenges. And I thought the nature of the quick fire challenge is not a complaint. I thought it was a really fun challenge, but it didn't give us a lot of insight. I don't think it was the perfect conditions. To really tell who's working and who's not, or, or, or whose stuff is working and who's Kevin, not. Kevin, did he drop the corn or not? Yeah, he dropped the corn, but I, you know what? I have my own bias. I wanted a nice gay in my first pick. So there you go. I got a nice gay. When he goes up to the quick fire challenge table with, with Kristen, at, or no, it was Dawn actually for the quick fire, and he says, Nothing I made made it onto the plate. Big red flags. Big red flags for me. So I actually had Robert Hernandez down on my board. Came up clutch. I mean, I did not see him winning that episode. Um, I thought Sarah was going to pull it out. Um, but in this in this instance, I was kind of stunned. And he was too. I think there's a lack of confidence that might be humility, depending on how you look at things. He didn't seem all that excited about winning the, winning the first episode. He almost got scared. He said something to the effect of, I don't want this... I just hope to live up to this expectation. I don't want to be out, you know, uh, ruined in the next couple episodes. And the the crowd in that break room, we'll talk about the break room later, um, the stew room, he was talking about how, why aren't you smiling ear to ear? And he was kind of a little bit scared about winning the first episode. So to me, I kind of read that, Kevin, as he doesn't feel like he belongs. He's feeling a little intimidated, and I need some more confidence out of Robert for me to put him in the top three of my big board. He was top six, so I'm actually kind of thrilled right now. I'm feeling comforted and elevated right now. I'm flying high. Well, the beautiful thing about this show is we'll see. All of these questions will be answered, Tom. Team Habershaw has submitted our pick to the commissioner, and we are ready. With the second pick in the Top Chef Season 19 draft, Team Haberstro selects Ashley Shanty from Asheville, North Carolina. Huge surprise going <laughs> with the Carolina pick. Oh, I love Ashley. She was a great team player in the quick fire, understanding the team dynamics. You always want to see a top chef who understands the game, but also brings super talent. She's a James Beard Award nominee. Uh, She has this pop-up, so you know that she's starting to think on the fly. Um, She can think big and think small. I like her for the restaurant wars with that pop-up background. She's also been in some pretty amazing um, kitchens. And of course... That that dish, the kitfa, she was it was it was stellar. It was a stellar dish, and I think she might have had the best dish of the evening um, if she didn't have some better teammates onto that onto that squad. So Ashley, um, I think she's got it. I think she's got the composure uh, when she made that quick fire and essentially said, "I'm going to create a canvas for them to build upon. I'm not going to do something specific like Leah did, where Leah was like, "I'm going to do. I'm going to give a very strict di- directions here for my team." But you can't communicate. Ashley understood you can't communicate. So instead of making a very specific, narrow-minded path for your teammates, start giving them a nice bed, a canvas for which to paint on. So I really love Ashley. Of course, you're going to say Homer pick me in North Carolina, Asheville. No, no, no. Let me let me tell you, I I, I love the pick for you. Uh, Kitfo is delicious. Um, ate a fair amount of it in Ethiopia. Uh, she actually did it a little differently. That that lovely egg yolk sauce, which is actually kind of more of a Korean interpretation of, of steak tartare. I mean, look, steak tartare is fantastic. But I, I'm with you. I actually, I think one of the impressive things is it's one of those dishes, I think, on Top Chef that's easy to get an A minus B plus, hard to get an A. She got an A, um, you know, made that caracari sauce. It, it just, it also had, I think, the good sense. And these are the little details that I think matter. You know, had the good sense for that red rice crumble. You want a little bit of crunch. Like she, she considered everything. Her component parts are great. 
I'm a big fan. Well, certainly would have been in my two and three. And so I like the pick for you. The pick is in. The third pick in the Top Chef draft. Tom Haverstrow selects from one of the five boroughs, Budalo. Yeah, that's the sound of upset Kevin. He's a little bitter right now. That is the sound of a man crossing a name off of his big board. You know what I should have done? I think the, the winner gets a choice. I should have taken the two and the three. It's always the better call, isn't it? Yeah, last year you traded uh, the two and the three for the one and the four. And actually, I picked the winner in Gabe Arales with the second pick last year and actually picked, I think, the third place finisher in overall points in Don Burrell, but I ended up trading her. Man, what can I say about Buddha? Really great character on the show. He's Australian. He's uh, He trained in Paris before he actually knew how to speak the language. He didn't speak a word of French um, when he was like a teenager. He was in a kitchen when he was 14 at one of the top restaurants. This is a prodigy written all over it. And that dessert dish, the spotted dick, Kevin, I don't even know what that is. I think you can probably fill me in on what a spotted dick dessert is. Why do you say that? <laughs> because you always research these, these okay, dishes, okay. Kevin. I thought, I, all right, never mind. All right, I, I wasn't like, alleging anything about okay. you. Um, but what I was what I was going for, Kevin, is he took a big risk with that uh, that immunity that he got after the quick fire, and Tom Colicchio was blown away by this dish that um, that was a dessert. And yes, he's married to a pastry chef, so that's going to give him a leg up here in those um, you know challenges that you might have to lean dessert. I just love the creativity. I love the global, international um, cuisine, culinary background that he that he flexes, and I just think he's he's a really strong prodigy here. The Luka Doncic of my selections this year. I'm really excited about Buddha. And just like Luka Doncic, got passed over by two picks. By the way, was my very close number two. I mean, really, like I actually considered going. I just went with the odds this time, but I, I love Buddha. And I think, look, if, if you want to test the metal of a chef in episode one, it's they have immunity and what do they do with it? Like in some ways, I, that is a great way to really get a sense of somebody's just kind of heart as a contestant, because you got nothing to lose. You can throw anything against the wall. And by the way, we've seen a lot of immunity dishes clunk and they say, hey, why not? You know, you throw it out there. That's fine. To execute it, it, it is a real skill. I'm ready for my fourth pick. Wait a minute. Did we just skip over the spotted dick? I have. All right, oh, fine. spotted I'm- dick is a dessert. It's a British dessert. I've never known a British dessert to be any good. Apparently his was. Um, you, like, Look, I didn't know it. I'm not a big – I don't know a lot about desserts. And when I see the words pudding and treacle, <laughs> I kind of tune out. Quintessential English steamed pudding served with a creamy vanilla custard sauce, a thoroughly authentic recipe. Or I'm just reading from a, a website. And then he inserted beef into that. No, no. So, so apparently it does – the dessert itself does call for – and I might not be pronouncing it, it, it correctly – suet, which is the hard fat of a beef or mutton or lamb found around the loins and kidneys. So so the dessert, the spotted dick itself actually calls for oh, this guy's beef fat, which is the most British thing ever. <laughs> okay, now that we got spotted dick out of the way, let's go with the number four pick in the draft. With the number four pick, Team Arnovitz selects Sarah Welch yeah. from Detroit, Michigan. Really like her game. You might say she was another one who lacked uh, confidence. You made a big point to say that, hey, she was shocked to be up there. So there was a little bit of the humble bragging as well there. That tallow-seared flight iron steak, the plate looked gorgeous. Again, it looked like that combination of comfort and elevation that we're looking for. Little details like the agridolce shallots. She's thinking about kind of let me add some acid to this dish because we got rich on rich. Like, like it, it just that looked like a dish that wins weekly competition. Um, she has a great resume. You know, been running her own place. Uh, beard semifinalist. She's had two successful restaurants. Um, well trained, and just just a fan. I, I, I think I think she might be the Adrian of the season, kind of building confidence as she goes. But already, I like what I see. Oh, I do too. Kevin, my big board right now, it was one Ashley, two Buddha, three Sarah. So we're we're pretty much copacetic here. We're, we're in lockstep with the exception of your number one overall pick. Sarah's great. 
Uh, good team player. I, I noticed uh, the moment when she, um, you know, she she was you know trying out the gnocchi and she was helping out. Uh, wanted to spoon feed Robert like a baby at some at some point. I like her charm. I like her presence up on the judges' table. When they were like, you look like you're shocked. You know what she said? Well, I'm surrounded by so many amazing chefs in this room. You can kind of get lost in that. She could have, you know, gone in a number of different directions, but she gave her contestants, her fellow contestants, a little compliment there. And I thought that was a a very mature way of looking at things. I think she's got a lot of composure and I'm really upset that you got her here um, with the number four pick. She was number three on my board behind Buddha. So yeah, I'm, I'm upset to see Sarah off the board. The fifth pick in the top chef draft, keeping Austin weird all by herself. It's Joe Chan. This is a part of the field where I have a kind of a crowded tier. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm not confident about this pick. I, I think she's the best chef left on the board, but you know, I'm, I'm now at a point in my board, and I don't know where your tiers are, where, you know, there's some clustering here. But I really like what she did. She is a chef with confidence, right? Like, that, that, that is, you know, if we want to draw the contrast here, um, the black garlic rubbed ribeye shows a lot of sophistication. The kari kari, kind of the Filipino peanut sauce with it. Um, she did a sophisticated dish with a, you know, sort of a basic protein. Um and I, I, I like it. I like the confidence. I think she could really grow in this series. Like the resume, I'm feeling reasonably good. But but let me say that there were three contestants I could have taken here. Yeah, Jo Chan right in the same mix that you had for her. She was on the winning team in the quick fire with Buddha and Monique. I really like that squad. Uh, there's nothing really negative here about Jo. Um, she's really strong. Um, and she's the dog pick. So I'm not surprised that you, you know, you went with Joe and she's got two dogs. Um, and so I figured, you know, if I have a bias, a hometown bias, a Homer bias, you have a dog bias there. So I'm, I'm not surprised you took Joe here, uh, with the fifth pick and I am going to send in my file for the sixth pick here. And the pick is in. From the rainy Pacific Northwest. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then, it's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Comes Luke Culpin. To join Team Haberstrow. I'm thrilled. Oh, comfort and elevation from Kevin. Luke couldn't get the plate, finished in the quick fire. You know what it reminds me of, Kevin? You know what that reminds me of? Don Burrell. First episode in last season, Don had time management issues. Yeah, but her shit was good. <laughs> like, that's the difference. I didn't pick him number one. I didn't pick him number two or number three on my board. That's why he's down here is he forgot to put the, uh, you know, he got a little flustered there in the quick fire. 
Um, but I actually think his resume and the elements of his dish, when Kristen Kish was, uh, you know, evaluating his dish with the seaweed, uh, the salinity or whatever, I, I thought, hey, she's going to like this dish. And then she was like, yeah, there wasn't any flavor. Um, there wasn't any umami in there. And I was like, oh, no, uh, I, I kind of was thinking she was going to like that dish. So I think the elements are there for Luke. He is uh, he worked at the number one restaurant in the world. Uh, and I think he was fairly humble about it. He wasn't, you know, beating his chest about it like past top chef contestants can do. Uh, and Luke, I think um, I think he's got a lot of upside here. And with the six pick, I feel like that's where you want to be is, you know, in years past, you know, do we know where Joe Flam was supposed to he was supposed to be the number one pick? But no, he was in the middle of the pack. Melissa King. This is where the upside picks happen. And I feel like with Luke and his resume. I feel like there's a lot of upside here. I can't believe you fell for the resume stuff. Noma. I don't care if he cooked the last supper. Okay. He couldn't get food on the plate. The seaweed cured steak excited nobody. Sounded good though. Hey, I'll eat crow. Hell, I'll eat seaweed cured steak. If this turns out to be good, I just, I mean, it was one of those picks that made me excited. Not impressed. I don't care where he cooked. I'm just shocked. Shocked. You're shocked. Oh, wow. Where did you have him on your board? I'm curious. 14. What? (laughs) 14. He has a mistake waiting to happen. (laughs) So am I falling prey to credentialism here? Yeah, well, the funny thing about his credentials are, and by the way, he seems like a great guy. Like, I don't, this ain't personal or anything, but like, where's he been? The number one restaurant in the world. No, no, no. I'm saying recently, like, what what is he doing right now? Probably winning Top Chef or or celebrating being a Top Chef winner, Kevin. All right. From his resume, after eight years at Noma, Luke decided to head back home to Seattle. When feeding himself, Luke's everyday go-to dish is a sandwich. Should I fix you some sandwiches? I don't want any fucking sandwiches. What is it with you fixing fucking sandwiches? Yeah, he's making sandwiches for himself and sitting on the couch and playing video games while all these other people are doing these pop-ups in New York and, and in Asheville. So anyway, I'm just giving you a little grief. Oh, man. A little trash talk here. I could have gone without the whole sandwich line. I mean, I, I love a good sandwich, but from my <laughs> Top Chef winner that his big claim to fame is- He's feeding himself. Like, like, isn't the definition of a chef that you feed other people? And sometimes he's not good at that. He forgot to put the dish on the menu in time. So, oh man, this is okay. You know what? It's a roller coaster. Number seven pick. I'm going to file it right now into the chat here. Submit it to the commissioner. Is Ernst and Young confirming all these picks? Let's hope so. All right. Mon- oh, whoa. Let me get rid of that. Take what? it out. Take it out. Huh? Okay. It has been submitted. From across the bay. E-40's hometown of Vallejo, California, Monique Fabes. Yeah, maybe I have a little bias for desserts. You know, the fact that she owns a, a bakery with her husband and um, during the pandemic opened that shop up. I, I thought she was really good on this episode. Um, good team player. Uh, seemed to be around a lot of success with, with Buddha and Joe Chan on that yellow team. Look, I, I think at this point, I can sell myself on any one of the contestants, and I know you can't be sold on Luke, and I get that, but I like Monique. I, I like my pick with Monique at, at this point. She's number five on my board. Yeah, it's a nice pick. She was in that cluster for me as well uh, that I talked about. They seem to be impressed. You know, it's hard, and again, not just the quick fire, but a team competition does make it much harder to assess these contestants, right? Like like if you put her on the winning team, all of a sudden, is she going third or fourth? Right? It does seem like... I've just had this was the hardest draft so far to handicap, in my opinion. It's a lot of contestants. It's a lot of writing down. It's a lot of the same. You know, how many other beef and a green and like maybe a a starch on a plate did we see? It was just beef after beef after beef. And it was hard to differentiate the chefs based on their performance because we didn't get to really see a lot of creativity when they're working with essentially the same protein. I feel solid about this Monique pick. I feel like there are not any red flags with Monique. That there are a lot of chefs on here that saw a lot of weaknesses that I didn't want to have anything part of. But I'm curious to see where you go with your eighth pick. With the eighth pick in the Top Chef draft, submitted as quickly as possible by Team Arnovitz, we are going to Los Angeles, California for Jackson Kolb. So when I 
came into this draft, I said, there ain't no way I'm taking any guy who doesn't have a sense of taste and a sense of smell. <laughs> like, like if ever there was a handicap in this competition. But then we watched him work. I loved his comportment. His dish clearly impressed um, the judges. Incidentally, like the Tonato, I just had in Chicago last Wednesday dinner at the Loyalist um, and had a beet tartare with Tonato. That was absolutely delicious. Tuna aioli, and it had such a it's, – it, it's not what you would expect with a beef or, for that matter, a beet tartare. But uh, he really did well here. So if there is a problem with sense of smell, sense of taste – A little problem? It ain't affecting him. And, you know, honestly, he if I didn't have that information, I'd probably go a little higher with him, fifth or sixth. So I was very impressed. Yeah, Kevin, I don't know what to do with Jackson. I think the pick that you gave him right here makes a lot of sense given the fact that he performed well, but I can't get over the fact that he has no sense of smell and no sense of taste. And kind of a little game theory here, a question for you real quick is, do you do you approve of him not telling and being transparent about this uh, this disability of his with his teammates? Do you think it's a, is it prudent for him to tell everybody, I can't taste or smell just a heads up here. Uh, if you are on my team, I'm going to need you to help me out here. I don't think you have to disclose that. Hmm. I think, hey, do the job. Do the job. You know, I also think, Kevin, we're we're both homers. I think this is just you wanted the L.A. guy, right? Actually, no. I mean, I, I again, it's West Side. I mean, I, it might as well be uh, <laughs> Siberia. Might as well be Elmira, New York. I don't, you know, it doesn't mean anything. One last thing here on Jackson. When he reviews Robert's dish, the gnocchi, he says... The gnocchi was good. The guy can't taste. He can't taste. And I know it's a texture thing. Well, I mean, he didn't say it was bad. I'm just laughing at the fact that he's giving reviews about how something tastes, or at least it was good, when the dude can't taste or smell. Like, at some point, this is this has got to be a, a CBA violation of Top Chef is you're, you're telling teammates, hey, it was a great dish. I thought it really great high notes of cherry and uh, and rhubarb in there when he can't taste anything. I don't know. I, I think we're making a little bit too much of this. I, I think sometimes instinct. I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, people who lack a specific sense have actually acute talents uh, that are compensated in other ways. So Fine. I ain't worried. With the ninth pick in the Top Chef draft, Team Arnovit selects the hometown hero, Evelyn Garcia from Houston, Texas. Yeah, you know, we're now at the point in the draft where, you know, I like this contestant. I'm, I'm not going to make a, a great um, defense. She nailed her dish. People seem to like the charred eggplant salad. So she knows how to put together a plate. Um, she nailed the protein. Um, and people were generally pleased. Like we're now at the sort of we're frankly in the bottom half of the draft, and um, you know there's there's there, there's there's a lot of stuff here to like. Um, she does have the hometown advantage. Uh, do we know that there's a hometown advantage, Tom? That's a great question. She did mention in there that it was an advantage that she was in the hometown, and I'm trying to know? jog my memory here. I don't know if I've studied this, but this might be a good one for uh, the next episode is whether there is actually a hometown advantage. Last year was Portland, and of course we had um, Gabriel Pescuzzi, who is also from Portland. He did fairly well. That's a great question. Let's put a pin on that, Maze and Kevin, and let's try to figure out if there is actually a home hometown favorite or hometown advantage for, for Evelyn here. She certainly believes so. Tom, I'd also love some analytics on what number pick in the draft usually ends up on top, where the previous champions have come from. So Gabe was second pick last year. Melissa was eighth. Kelsey Barnard was 10th. And Joe Flam was sixth. So of the last four years, it's gone two, eight, 10, and six. So it's really all over the place. Like Kevin said at the top, we're not very good at this. Predicting after the first episode is maybe a fool's errand, but it is really fun to be a fool sometimes. Sounds like maybe you guys should just burn that first pick. You know what I'm saying? Just get somebody out there. Well, Shota, Shota was amazing for, for Kevin as the first pick last year. You don't have to be one of the 33% who win. I mean, I imagine the overall rating, with the exception of a few of your outliers here, that the performance overall of the number one pick is pretty strong. Yeah, Shota um, had 79 points in the fantasy scoring last year, and Gabe had 87. Basically, even though Gabe won the whole thing, they were pretty much tied. 
um, in terms of the overall performance. The whole the whole season swung with my trade of Don and um, and Kiki for Maria and Brittany. It was ju- it was just tough. I I, I, do- I don't want to make the same mistake again. I'm a little snake bitten here, Kevin. If you offer me a trade. I might, I might think extra long about doing a deal with Kevin Arnovitz in Top Chef after that one. Ah, right. With the 10th pick from New York, New York, Team Haberstroh selects Chef Testant Jay Jung. Yeah, this one, this one I had a little bit of trouble here because her on-court presence was not very strong. You know, at the judges' table, she was uh, a little rattled at the judges' table, seemed a little bit emotional. Uh, maybe the language barrier is playing into that. She can't communicate as well as some others and expressing, you know, some of her feelings over the dish. However, I really do love her her profile of, you know, Cajun Korean uh, food. It is just very, very different um, we've seen it be successful in the past where someone has a specific, you know, strength of two very disparate seeming culinary backgrounds and blending it and having a vision every time out. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see. She I don't know. I I think she's got some upside here. Uh might be a little bit of a value pick. Um didn't really show very well on the court, like I said, but Jay Jung with the uh with the Korean New Orleans influences, the the Cajun Korean blend. I'm, I'm kind of digging it. So, Jay, I'm with you. Yeah, you talk about sleeper picks, and I, I think this is one of them. She has a lot of upside here. Uh, by the way, people love that pop-up. They absolutely love it. It's creative. Um, she works a lot of different flavors. And again, I, I didn't think – I thought the instinct to do sort of a bim and bop. I, I don't quite understand sort of the, the, the North Korean interpretation. I know very little about North Korean food. I think most people don't. <laughs> but the one thing that did stand out in the air is, is – and they mentioned it is just like showcase the beef. Know the challenge. And it's something we talk about a lot. Know the challenge. I want to see that chefs understand what the judges are looking for and to have the instinct. Like You're not just cooking a dish. You're cooking within the parameters of the challenge. Right. And I think maybe a little bit of Don Burrell here from last year is she gets a slap on the wrist about her you know, flavor and trusting her background rather than doing something new. Stay true to yourself. And so she got that, that, that pep talk right out of the gate. And she might've been a little scared of being uh, kicked off on the first episode, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that she was scared stiff and then now is going to find herself on this show. So Jay Young for the, uh, for my pick. And then I have another one here, Commissioner Mays. With the 11th pick in the top chef draft, Team Haberstro is going back to Brooklyn for Sam Kang. Yeah, Sam Kang. He's he's just adorable. He's great. He feels like Kermit the Frog to me where he's just, you know, he's almost like a puppet <laughs> out there bouncing around the room aimlessly wandering during a quick fire. People are a little weirded out by him, but he's super charming. He's someone who um you know, I'm still trying to figure out who he is as a chef. He's got a background from Momofuku and he's also a kid educator. I like this. I like this pick here simply because he's fun to have on the team. He looks like someone who's going to be potentially the fan favorite of this season. Got a lot of character, a really cool personality, and someone who lifts other people up. I just think for the locker room chemistry, Kevin, I need a guy like Sam Kang to lift everyone's spirits. You need that kind of guy to uh, to just raise the you know bring everyone together. And I think Sam's going to be really good for my fantasy team. Yeah, might just kind of uh, skate for a few weeks just on personality alone. I'm not sure he's a Muppet, but it, it is. Uh, he is clearly uh, a cultural plus on this show. The steak with Panzanella, it was fine. All right. So he said uh, a line, you can taste crazy in food. What does that mean? I have no idea. Does that mean that like if you're crazy or unhinged, you can taste it? Or if you're like really rattled and you're running around the room because he said it at the, you know, whether this magical elves placing it and editing it out of context or not. He said it as he was just strolling very calmly, pleasantly walking around the kitchen, getting his food for the quick fire in under 10 minutes. And everyone was looking at him like, are you nuts? Like, go run, like burn a calorie out there, please. And he says, you can taste crazy in food. So 
uh, you know, maybe a little too laid back, maybe too um, laissez-faire for me uh, to get him in the top six or top 10 in this draft. But at, at this pick, I'm actually feeling pretty good. With the 12th pick in the Top Chef draft, Team Arnovitz selects from the Dirty South, Nick Wallace, Jackson, Mississippi. I make this pick without any great enthusiasm. <laughs> it didn't screw anything up. Braising is pretty easy. The sweet potato dumpling, I, I didn't get, a, unfortunately, any commentary from the judges on that. I mean, that, that was sort of something I would love to have known. I mean, it's an interesting take, right? You don't just put a, a you know, a sweet potato puree or, or everything. You, you, you kind of construct something. Would love to know what they thought of that because it would have given me more information about some of um, his technical skills, charred veggies. There was really nothing all that interesting about that plate, but there's also nothing offensive about that plate. He, he's not a guy who made a mistake, right? I mean, then that's, or, or exercised any sort of bad judgment. Yeah, the braised beef, he made a, a tribute to his grandmother's recipe. And so this is a, my grandmother's dish. And one of the judges said, yeah, well, she probably made it with oxtail so that it wouldn't be so tough. And it's not a huge mistake, but you know, that's, that's the only ding I could think of is that he used uh, a cut of the beef that probably wouldn't work very well. Um, which reminds me, another moment of the show I couldn't just I couldn't get over was at one point Robert was using like a grater or a sifter to cut the beef. Did you notice that when he was trying to? I was like, "What is he doing?" It just seemed amateurish. But then now, as I'm thinking about it, he won the whole thing, and I kind of maybe in retrospect, he's just resourceful. He's MacGyvering the kitchen, and maybe you need that a little bit from your chef. Again, and I don't do this kind of cooking. Is it possible that, you know, to kind of separate the meat that you might, but there's some sort of some fat that needs to be broken down or some sinos that need to be broken down and you sure. do that through the citrate? I, that, that's my only explanation. Love to get a chef on here to kind of explain that one. Yeah. With the 13th pick in the Top Chef draft, Team Arnovitz selects Damar Brown from the south side of Chicago. What does give me cause for concern is the commentary on the mushrooms again roasted rare sirloin i mean a lot you, you mentioned it earlier and it, it, again a, a weird part of this challenge is i'm not going to say that cooking beef is easy but there's not a lot of as you say creativity involved hey he did a roast roasted rare sirloin i, I think most of us can execute that but the mushrooms had this slather of fat or um you know he went with the vinegar so who knows what it was um, on the other hand, he is at Virtue, which is a really well-regarded restaurant in Chicago. I couldn't get a table. And um, his uh, mentor, Eric Williams, just was named uh, a Beard nominee just last week. So um, good pedigree, uh, wasn't very impressive, very well could bounce back, um, fine for me as, as my final pick. Which means Kevin Mays? Final pick of the Pack Your Knives fifth annual draft is? So this is interesting. Not only does Kevin get the first pick, but he also saddles Tom with the last pick. With the 14th pick in the Top Chef draft, Kevin Arnovitz selects for Tom Haberstrow. It's Stephanie Miller. Just from a cursory glance at this list, I had a feeling that the Chef from Bismarck, North Dakota, would not be high on people's lists. Thank you, Maze. You know what? Stephanie, she got on the wrong team. The quick fire just didn't work with Jay and with Leah. Uh, she was trying to figure out where she fit in. She was like, you know what? I'm not really into the whole Asian flavor thing. I'll do a bok choy, but a real cardinal sin, just forgetting the bok choy. It's one thing to forget the bok choy. It's another to not own up to it in the beginning and have Don Burrell at the table say, hey, what happened to the bok choy? Oh, um, that's the one ingredient I forgot. Big red flag for me. I appreciate a little honesty. You know, you come in, the menu is right in front of you, Kevin. It says bok choy. And then when the dish comes out, you should say, get out in front of it and say, look, um, didn't have time to plate the bok choy. Just things got away from me. But I really like the other elements of this dish. I just wanted to be transparent with you. But instead, waits for Don to say, hey, where is that bok choy? And that just, that, that, that made me sick to my stomach to watch a potential Habers team Haberstroh chef testing to do that. But that's why she's at 14. You know, she has that mistake with the bok choy. Um, but also, you know, I, I just worry about um, confidence in there. Uh, North Dakota, the fact that she, you know, 
grew up on a ranch and she basically ate meat and potatoes as a kid. And yes, she's going to have a much more diverse and much more expansive culinary palate than that. But in that same vein, like if the thing is beef and maybe potatoes, you should nail it. It was a good tasting dish, but I'm worried about the whole bok choy thing. I thought she might have been getting sent home, but of course she hangs on uh, for dear life and she stays on with um, with Leah going home. Kevin, what were your thoughts on on Stephanie versus Leah here? I had a fleeting thought that perhaps her not getting the bok choy on the plate was an expression of resentment, kind of Freudian, that she just kind of resented having to kind of abide by the sensibilities of the other two people. She seemed to be kind of unhappy about it. Uh, I'm with you in the sense that, okay, fine, you're you're a meat and potatoes chef. Fine. Execute, make the best meat and potatoes you can make. It wasn't all that good though. I mean, the chefs actually said, or the judges rather actually said that as a plate, it works. So, you know, but it it certainly didn't wow anyone. Um, I know that there are certain flavor profiles that, that aren't native to to certain people. It's top chef. You got to work with it. Um, I, I know you're from a rectangular state and, and and, in the deep (laughs) North, but yeah, this is the, this is the, this is the show. Have you been watching the show? It has been as a point of emphasis, highlighting international cuisine so i know it's like figure it out you're a chef you know you can do asian flavors there are a million things with steak that you can do to bring out asian flavors it is not a tragedy it is not a huge insurmountable thing I had no interest in this contestant. None. Yeah. I just like to see your big board, like pros, like really good with beef, you know, lived on a ranch, cons from a rectangular state. No, it's only a problem if it's a problem. (laughs) We had a lovely meal in Fargo, North Dakota in 2016. So, you know, I have no problem with it unless they have a problem with it. Maze, do you have the teams laid out in front of you? Can we review the draft before we talk about Leah? So, Kevin selected Robert. Sarah, Joe, Jackson, Evelyn, Nick, and Damar. Tom selected Ashley, Buddha, Luke, Monique, Jay, Sam, and finally, Stephanie. Feeling pretty good about it. How about you? I, I am too. I, look, I, you took two of my you know, top three um, in that second tier. Um, and Ashley and and Buddha, but I got two of my those my top just to give you as actually I know I don't want to tell you anything. Yeah. We might trade. Yeah, yeah. we might trade. I don't want to. I don't want to let you in on the draft room. No, you don't get to see the whiteboard after the fact. I, I might have given away too much in this episode already about where I had certain uh, contestants, but Leah, I mean, talk about a stunner. We said in the preview episode that it felt like she had a leg up on all the chef testings because she was a TV comp- cooking competition star. She'd already been on Chopped. She'd already been on Iron Chef. She had already been on several programs. She even had a food documentary, Kevin. And it seemed like she was going to have a leg up in this competition. But you know what? As it happens, injuries occur in the postseason and sometimes you can't overcome. Tom, she also had a bladder infection. So there's that. That's what I'm – she had a bladder infection. She had a 101 fever. There was that awkward moment when she comes down and, and uh, she's sitting on the couch. She's obviously feverish and cold. And Jay just so bright and bubbly coming over there and rubbing her shoulder and looking like she wants a hug. But but you could tell that that Leah was like, uh, give me my space here. I'm, I'm pretty sick here. And then Jay was like, how are you? Oh, are you? I'm so sorry. And then she sits next to uh, Leah and Leah's just like, oh, like, come on, give me, give me some space here. Do we need to pile into this, this couch like sardines? Poor Leah. She has a bladder infection, the fever. She powers through. And that was not a good dish. That was not a good dish. The, 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 the steak was cut too thickly. Um, it was chewy. I don't like the idea of an egg roll. It feels very, or sorry, not an egg roll, a spring roll. It feels very like corporate lunchy on a, on a Tuesday afternoon that they bring in some spring rolls from the local shop. I didn't love that and nothing about that dish worked for the judges. And even with the, the infection, the fever, I still think there was a chance that she was going to hold on and maybe there would be some sympathy on this one. But Leah, the TV star, the cooking competition vet, 
goes home in episode one, Kevin. Yeah, it is a surprise. I mean, you and I both um, highlighted that is now that we are in sort of the, the, the food, the food competition show industrial complex that she was sort of right in the middle of it. We thought that would be an advantage and it wasn't, uh, which is interesting. I mean, perhaps Top Chef is just its own animal. If you guys had done the draft before the first episode, how high would Leah have been on your boards? Pretty high. I think she might have been one or two for me given her background and given the fact that she's done he, she did um beating bobby flay or whatever she's done this this circuit so i'm i'm stunned she got sick it happens and you get sent home early it happens to the best of the nba teams or any team the star player goes down and sorry you're out of the competition so yeah i'm really excited after episode one uh before we Wrap up here. I do want to give a, a shout out to the listeners who have asked for the scoring rubric for this fantasy season. A lot of people are doing their drafts. Um, here's where it stands. If you win the whole thing, you get 25 points. Okay. If you win the top chef, you get 25 points. In the elimination challenge, if you win, you get 10. If you're in the top three, you get five. In the middle, you're in you get two points. If you're in the bottom three, you don't get any points. No soup for you. You get zero points. And if you're eliminated, you get a minus five. Also, we give out points for a quick fire. If you win the quick fire, you get three points. And if you're in the top three or the top four or whatever, you get one additional point. Um, I should say just one point. You don't get an additional point if you win the quick fire. To get four points, you just get three. And then there's Last Chance Kitchen. If you survive Last Chance Kitchen, you get a point. And if you get eliminated, you get minus one. So there you have it. The scoring system for the fantasy season. Um, Yeah, Kevin, a really shocking episode. I thought Magical Elves did an amazing job of setting it up kind of making you think that Robert doesn't have his things together. He drops the succotash. Um, he's late to making his gnocchi, and then he puts out this brilliant dish. And wow, he goes number one in the draft. And the stats say, you're right. But my recency bias, my emotional fibers were staying very far away from Robert. Yeah, but you're supposed to be Spock on all this stuff. You know, Tom, I'm, I have some reservations about the season. Look, I always love Top Chef. I don't know how I feel about the field of candidates yet. I wasn't hooked by the cast the first time out. I can't tell you why, but I am uh, obviously always excited as we move into move into season 19. Did you have a sense that there was a villain at all? I think possibly Luke, but I, I wouldn't say... I, I, look, I'd like some villain, yeah. for crying out loud. I mean, I think the show could benefit for from some, if not even villains, just some real moxie. Like, to be honest with you, I don't want to hear it people at the judges table saying, oh, gee, I, everyone's talented. I didn't know, you know, like, no, um, by the way, much respect to Sarah, um, who, you know, who is on my team, but I, I just, I think the show's gotten a little soft in recent years. I wouldn't mind a villain or two. And at the very least, just some really competent chefs who aren't going to shake your hand after the game, so to speak. We need some malarkeys up in here. Give me some more malarkeys. At least somebody who understands the pro wrestling aspect, who was willing to play the heel. And maybe that emerges. Maybe that emerges. But I, I think that's my only critique of the show that I absolutely love. And even at its worst, it's it's the best thing going. But top friend. And I, I'm ready for a little more, the competition of the competition show. I'd love to see a little more of it. For Tom Habistro, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.